Amen. I love that parable that was just read. But we, we've started a new uh, sermon series, uh, Defying Gravity. And we're, today we're talking uh, about breaking free. But this series we're looking at, uh, looking at money. And last week, if you were here, I changed up my sermon, but the, the scripture we looked at was a, the scripture, remember, it was a, a young rich man who went to Jesus and was asking Jesus about, you know, uh, what did he need to do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know, keep the commandments. And the man said, which ones? And, and, and Jesus gave him a list. And he said, I've, all, I've done all this. And, and the man said, what else do I need to do? And, and Jesus looked on to him and said, you know, Go sell all your possessions, give it to poor, and then come and follow me. And it says the man went away grieving. You see, the, uh, that rich man was experiencing financial gravity. The things of this world have a gravity and they, and they hold us down. He could not or would not submit this one area of his life to Christ, his wealth. And today we are considering another rich young man who appears in the Gospels. He's this character we just read about. This parable, this story that, that Jesus is telling his disciples on all who gathered around him about a loving father and how this younger of two sons, he, he feels the the force of financial gravity so strong that he goes to his father, if you can imagine, and asks for his inheritance early. He says, Dad, before you kick the bucket, can I have the money now? I don't want to wait because I don't know how long you're going to live. And uh, you can just imagine, you know, if you've never heard this parable before, if you can imagine just, you know, the audacity of a son to go to his dad and say, Hey, Dad, I need the money now, not then. But... Uh, and you can just imagine how the father would feel, right? He's probably kind of anger, angry, disappointed, hurt. That would be uh, something you can't even imagine, actually, someone going and doing that. And that's the thing about parables. Uh, parables often place people in kind of a, a peculiar situation in order to make the point clear. And, and this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's telling this uh, interesting parable about a son who actually went to his father to ask for the inheritance. And this young man wanted to pursue fully the kingdom of self. It was all about him. He must have felt that he was floating as he set his course to go out on this great new adventure as his father actually gave him his share of the inheritance. He was looking forward to going out to a, to a distant land. Having spent his life, his whole life, kind of fairly constrained to this one area, he was now free to go out and do whatever he wanted to. He was excited to begin this adventure. What he didn't know was that he was about to be sucked into a black hole. And a black hole is a place in space where the gravity is so great that nothing can escape its pull, not even light, which is why black holes, they can be felt, but they're not seen. Once something enters the gravitational field of a black hole, uh, the effect is dramatic. Uh, the kingdom of self is a space full of black holes. And for many people, 
money and the things that it buys can produce a level, level of gravity in which they simply cannot escape. And you can imagine, one of the worst combinations in this regard is to place a large sum of money into the hands of someone who is spiritually and emotionally immature. You can imagine what's going to happen next, can't you? And so as we read this parable, we can only imagine what is going to happen next. You know, many of us, we've heard this parable all our lives. But you place a large sum of money in the hands of someone who is spiritually and emotionally immature, that is a volatile combination, isn't it? And this is exactly what happened to this young man. His spending choices were predictable, weren't they? It says this, A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. I love that word, dissolute. I don't think I've ever used that word before. But dissolute living, isn't that a great image? Most of us understand the problem faced, though, by that young man. He was anxious to be independent. But he was immature, and immature people have trouble handling money. His vision was limited just to the few brief hours ahead of him. That's all he was focusing on. His impulse control was weak, wasn't it? And he, he, was just, he was excited about all the options available to him to spend his dad's money because he was ready to do it. Uh, and all of those options looked inviting. He lived fast and large until it was all gone and then stumbled away in regret when a famine picked the last denarius out of his pocket. And I don't know if about you, you know, some of you might have never had a large sum of money, but if you've ever received a large sum of money, you, oftentimes you think to yourself, wow, this is amazing. If only I had that amount of money, you think then, then things would be fine. But what happens more often than not is that we think that a large amount of money might be like a, a granite boulder, that it's, it's just there and it can't go away. But, but typically what happens if you're not careful, that, that granite boulder turns more like uh, the dust in West Texas wind. It, it ends up in some other state. That's the way it is with money if, if we're not careful. This once rich but then very poor man in Jesus' parable eventually returned home because he had all that money and it was gone, just like the West Texas wind. It blew it all away. And he was so desperate that he went home. And he was scared to go home. But he thought to himself, you know, this is going home is better than feeding the pigs that he was feeding. And so he went home and decided to ask his dad for a job on the estate. And if you can imagine, as he's walking that all-too-familiar road back to his home, and he's practicing in his mind what he's going to say to his dad, and then all of a sudden he sees the dad out in the distance. And it says that the dad ran to him. You know, here's one of those situations and in which it's good to understand a first century Jewish mindset. Because we can picture it. We can see we're walking down towards home and we see the dad running to him and see in first century an older Jewish man, it was considered below them to run. So you wouldn't see an older Jewish man running unless he's being chased by something. Otherwise they wouldn't run because it was it was considered uh, beneath the dignity of a Jewish man to run. 
So you can imagine as the son is walking towards this home and he sees his dad start to run towards him, what's going through his mind? Oh, he's going to embrace me. No, he's thinking, well, I better get ready because he's coming after me. And then what does the dad do? He does. He doesn't fight him. He's embracing him. And, and that's, again, one of those peculiar situations where we see where we're clicked into, oh, the dad's running toward him. We, it's something we wouldn't expect. And this is when the father's grace is shown to this young man. This day, the son learned about the, the father's generous spirit. The father restored him to the household, put a signet ring on his finger, dressed him in a robe. It was a kindness he didn't deserve, a forgiveness he did not merit, love that he did not anticipate. His father's generosity gave him a new life. Do you hear that? The father's generosity gave him a new life. And think of how that experience would have changed the son's character. This selfish boy died in a distant land as he had to humble himself. And a new man was resurrected in his place through the father's love and generosity. We can imagine that now, instead of looking after himself, this this boy understood the gracious gift that he'd been given again and that he lived for others, hopefully. That he tried to meet the needs of others. That extravagant living in some distant land no longer appealed to him. Being with the father, enjoying the company of his father and his family, doing the will of his father would be what now brought him joy. Hopefully he would be more kind and gracious. And most importantly, instead of just simply being a recipient of his father's generosity, he now possessed the insight to become a participant in it as well. See, but that... That's the problem so often. Just as the the pull of financial gravity is evident in our lives or in the prodigal's lives, it's also evident in our life as well. We see that often in how we pray. And, And I'm guilty. I'm just as guilty. Our prayers are often prayers to God asking for something, aren't they? Something we hope to receive. We ask for guidance to make good decisions, for good health, recovery from illness, comfort when we grieve, job, uh, money to pay the bills, healing and relationships. We ask and ask and ask. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But our desires, regardless of how well-intentioned, is often to acquire or to receive from God rather than to serve God. Have you ever found that in your prayer life? I wonder how many times as individuals we get stuck in that pattern. We're just asking for stuff. Like a three-year-old, you know, just wanting more and more and more instead of serving the Father. I wonder how many times as individuals or as groups or a church we pray to reach those who don't know Christ. Or to feed the hungry, or comfort those who mourn, or assist the physically or mentally ill, or house the homeless, or gain access to prisoners, or provide service for others. But my, from my observation, even in my own 
uh, prayer life, the, the ratio of receive prayers to serve prayers is usually like that. We're quick to ask for stuff. That's because of the gravitational pull that is around us. But there's a moment of a epiphany of, ah, oh, when we as Christ followers come to recognize the difference. There's a difference between being a beneficiary of God's kingdom and being a participant in God's kingdom. When you find yourself submitting your kingdom of self to the kingdom of God, that's when true transformation begins to happen. This orientation towards God's kingdom is life-altering. It creates an identity found in generosity. Generous people see themselves, their lives, and their purpose differently than people whose lives are weighed down by financial gravity. Generous people are more interested in what they can give than in what they can get. And when we become generous people, we begin to live our lives as stewards. And a steward, all a steward is, is a person who manages other people's property. So stewards, typically, they have, they have broad powers to uh, manage property or the estate of someone else. Uh, they know how to run a household, but, but they know that primarily their role is servant. They are serving the wishes of the master. Being an owner means that we make all of our own decisions, free of the influence of anyone else's and the control or consideration of others. But we submit to no one when financial gravity kind of holds us back. But in stewardship is when we understand that we aren't the owners. But most people, most of us live like we are owners. We do. Uh, if I'm an owner, all that I have is mine. And, and we think that way too often because the pool of, of gravity of stuff, of money, is so, so large. There, in the book, uh, The Paradox of Generosity, Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson review data on giving and people's ideas of money. And they, they said this, and I quote, Very large numbers of Americans, despite wanting to enjoy happy, healthy, purposeful lives, fail to practice the kinds of generosity that actually tend to lead to happiness, health, and purpose in life. Something gets in their way. What is it that gets in their way? It's, it's the gravity of wealth, isn't it? Of stuff. And in the book, they, they captured data on this five-year study that they did, uh, that they released in 2010. It was a survey of 2,000 Americans. They did in-depth interviews, asked questions, and they, they got uh, quite a bit of insight uh, on generosity, on when it's exhibited and when it's withheld uh, in the life of a family. And here's what they found out. Uh, first, if you'll click one more, 44.8% of Americans reported that they gave zero dollars of their income to any charitable purpose. Zero. 44.8% of Americans. Not one dollar. They didn't even take a quarter and you know those little things that you, you spin it around, it just goes round and round and round and round and you kind of get some entertainment. At. No, nothing. Not even that. They, they didn't even give a, a, to the Salvation Army kettle. Nothing. The Girl Scouts, nada. They didn't even give at the office. Nothing. 
That's hard to believe. And, and, and this is not me. This is what people self-reported. The report went on to say this. Another 41.3% gave less than 2% of their income away. That means that the vast majority of financial generosity in the U.S. is offered by about 15% of the population that is willing to give away more than 2% of their income. Wow. And you may be thinking, but at least people give their time and they serve. And time is valuable. It's very valuable. Volunteerism is extremely important to the church or other charitable organizations. But in the same study, they found that more than 76% of the people self-reported that they gave no volunteer hours to any organization. 76%. That is three out of four people. It seems there's a, a generosity famine afoot. And, and I tell you, I hear it often from church members. Yeah, I can't really give, but, but I give my time. And this is, I confess, this is what I secretly think in my heart. I wish you gave your time. I wish you tithed your time. That'd be fantastic. Let's start there. But typically, it's a, a, a lack of generosity. It's not about resources. It is about identity. Who are we? Who are we going to serve? Stewards understand that they are custodial agents of whatever money or sum that they administer. They manage money and assets with the thought of pleasing the true owner. It's not mine. In order, though, to become a steward of financial resources, one has to accept the challenge, though, to set aside an amount of money to invest in God's kingdom. And many Christians, as a desire to do this, they have been intentional about practicing proportional giving. And that just means being intentional about increasing their giving with the hope of uh, being able to tithe. And a tithe, a tithe means one-tenth. It just means 10%. That's the goal for many Christians, to tithe first. And a tithe is the first and the best of what we have, not the leftover. We give our best and first to God. And, and that's a great goal to have. For, for many, you have already reached a tithe, and, and you continue to ask, what is your next step? How do you go further? But for most, the majority of us, uh, we're not even to a tithe. That's kind of... It's both the minimum and the goal for most Western Christians uh, to get to a point of tithing. And the tithe was a practice that God gave the people of Israel. The money from the tithe, it was used to su support worship, the temple. Also, it was used to take care of the most vulnerable in the culture, in society. And why would God ask them to tithe? Do you think that God needed the money? He could just create more money if he wanted to. No, a tithe wasn't about God, it was about us. Who are we going to be? Who are we going to serve? The purpose of the tithe was to be a discipline that enables us to help expand God's kingdom. As we give our tithe, we become more and more of God's servants. Through our generosity we can gain a sense of identity in who we are. In the practice of proportional giving, it calls us to offer our best for God's kingdom in a way that invites us to be 
identified as stewards. How does the practice of generosity change us? Well, I have a, we have a short video that I, I want to show us. We can show that at this time. I have always tithed, and I am so glad that I did. It is one of the decisions that brought greater meaning to my life. My husband died when we were young. My son and daughter were children. Then one day, I was at a meeting of the ladies' auxiliary at the church, and they announced what would be done with the thank offering that was taken every November. I came home sad because I knew we couldn't do that. There just wasn't a penny left over. My son saw that I was sad and asked me what was bothering me. I told him that I wanted to be a part of the thank offering in November, but even with all the time between now and November, I wouldn't be able to help. He said that if I wanted to give to that offering, we would do it together. We put a mason jar on the kitchen table. He and his sister took odd jobs, doing farm work or pulling weeds and gardens. They didn't make much, but they would bring their pennies and nickels home and put them in the jar. The country was still recovering from the depression. It was hard for a woman to find a job. I had to work and take care of the children. I took in sewing and would put any money we didn't need in the jar. We kept a garden and we watched our money, but I always wanted my children to see that giving was a part of life. I just took that portion out first and we lived on the rest. And it was hard, but we did it. <coughs> bit by bit, pennies turned to nickels, nickels turned to dimes, and then quarters. By the time November came around, we had a few dollars. I had the children come with me to the meeting and together we put our offering on the table with everyone else's. I think it was one of the proudest and happiest things we ever did together. It's a great story about just reminding us that it, it doesn't matter where we start. It's just where are we going to start? How do we start? Miss Margaret shaped the life of her family through generosity. Whether your tithe fits in a, a mason jar or a charitable trust, you can do the same thing. The only way to gain her joy is to take on the practice of it. As Christians, we are called to be stewards of all that we have from our possessions and money to our time and abilities. God calls us to be faithfully employed in God's service. We have all been called to ministry as Christians. God calls us to be faithfully employed for God's service. Yet, all too often, financial gravity restricts and inhibits our ability and true stewardship. We hold tight instead of let go. Many people who love God and want to honor Christ and seek the will of the Holy Spirit in their lives have not made that move from being a recipient of God's grace to being a generous participant in God's kingdom. The problem is it's not a lack of desire. Most of us desire to do it. Most people who don't give, though, simply can't or haven't figured out how to. Learning how to align your life for generosity is what we're going to be talking about next and next week as well. But I want you to begin thinking about how can I align my life so that I can be more generous in my giving. In a couple of 
challenges for us this morning. A couple of things for us to think about. Last week, we talked about you know, the rich man whose wealth and his stuff got in the way. And so here's a challenge. Here's something for you to possibly do this week is go and uh, clean out a drawer or a closet or a garage or maybe a storage unit and, and give it away. Give it to those in need. Don't even sell it. Just give it away to someone in need. Freedom House here in town, Salvation Army. Some way to simplify your life, some way to get closer to God by giving away, by practicing generosity, simplicity. You know, maybe even in that, or if you sell it, use the money and give it to the poor. But use those resources, that, that time it takes to, to clean, dust, move, store for his kingdom. That's one challenge. Doesn't matter what it is, but consider that. The other thing I'm going to invite you to do, and I'm going to need, Ivan, would you help out? Uh, I need two or three other guys or girls. If y'all could pass these out, one per couple. Who wants to help? Oh, you're about to sing. Y'all pass that out. This is just a little uh, worksheet, uh, kind of a financial planning worksheet. It's just a beginning point for us in our journey of aligning our life so that we can actually give. Use it however you want to. Use it as a, a springboard, a discussion area. There's many resources available out in the world. And if you need help, ask for help. We have several people in our church that are good with money that can help you align your life and be intentional. You can call me. We'd be more than happy to help you out. And we're going to talk more about uh, budgeting next week. Thank you all. But this is a way to start. A budget is just a plan. If we don't plan, well... We probably won't get where we need to go. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Uh, and if you need extra ones, you, they're up here as well. But that's my challenge, my encouragement for you as well. Where are we going uh, as a people of God?